Hey everyone, you are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Ken, where our mission is to glorify God, helping each other become mature disciples of Christ as we worship, grow, serve, and reach. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Sunday School Podcast where we take Sunday's sermon and we unpack it a little more. Uh, this week we're going to be focusing in on week three of our series, All of Life is Worship, and seeking to answer the question, how do we worship? So uh, the last couple of weeks we've talked about what is worship, why should we worship, and this week how should we worship? And uh, to kick it off uh, with this icebreaker, I, I actually was really excited about this icebreaker. Just saying. I am less excited about this one <laughs> than the first one I was super not excited about. Growing up, how was obedience both modeled and taught to you? And how have you seen this positively or negatively affect your concept of obedience? Um, obedience was taught to me through punishment (laughs) okay um but it it did have a positive and a negative um, aspect to it i think positively um i learned real quick not to be out doing stupid things um and to kind of keep myself in check um we and we see this in the script in in scripture we see we see god punishing um disobedience uh, especially in the old testament and people often have difficulty reconciling that with what we see in the New Testament. And I know we talked that we were going to kind of talk about that a little bit. Um, And also to sidetrack, before I forget, I would like to shout out to Bobby Thornton. Uh, (laughs) Yes. Last last week was a a busy, crazy week for uh, both Matt and I, so we didn't get a chance to uh, record, and so we're doing that now. And we just wanted to let you know it's okay, Bobby. We're we're still going to record. Um, but thank you for keeping us on our toes, and thanks for reaching out. We we love when we hear that people are actually engaging with these podcasts and are looking forward to them. So thank you for that. And anybody yep. else, if you want to shout out, you just got to tell us how much you love the podcast. <laughs> That's really what it is. Um, no, but uh, yes, thank you for. Staying honest, Bobby, to make sure we are recording. Yes. So, yeah, I would agree with you. I would say there's uh, obedience was uh, was modeled and taught through consequence, um, and negative actions had negative consequence. Um, I would say the the only point I can point to where I would say uh, that there was a neg any kind of negative effect was the times when um consequence was the result more of emotional response to a wrong than it was uh carefully thought through and i see the same things even now as in myself as a parent uh there are times when uh you're just angry at something your kid has done <clears throat> and it's easy to to just Daily. just lash out <laughs> of your own and that's your own fault like that i believe that is never deserved. Your emotional response to your child is never deserved. 
but that and th- those obviously bring about opportunities for repentance, for confession, for modeling, uh, even for in and of yourself what obedience to the Lord looks like because you're not perfect. So there's there's a lot of lessons there. Um, well, but, I think too that you know you can um, when when those things happen because they they happen with me. Um, with my kids, where I respond purely out of emotion, um, but the key is, is recognizing that and going back to your kids and saying, "Hey, look, I, I screwed up, and I'm sorry," and and seeking forgiveness. And then, I mean, there's a several there's several folds to that. You 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 model forgiveness. You model what healthy dialogue is. Um, there's just various aspects to that that. Um, really model obedience to God because we're we're doing what He's called us to do. We're we're forgiving, you know. We're we're lifting each other up, you know. We're we're seeing all these different aspects um, of what Jesus taught in Scripture. So, yeah. And so <clears throat> this brings us to First Samuel 15, which may seem like a strange place to come. We're talking about worship. It won't seem so strange uh, if you listen to the message uh, from this last Sunday. Uh, I I was not expecting to end up in 1 Samuel 15, and yet it was I, I was so confident this last week, um, in in that this is where we were supposed to be, as we correlate how worship and obedience go together. And um, my argument you're going to find throughout this is uh, I don't think that we can truly worship God if we're walking and living in obedience. I, I don't think we can. Uh, biblically, I don't think you can, because as you're going to see in the story, God God could care less about the actions you're taking to quote unquote worship Him if your heart is not committed to following His commands, to to actually obeying Him. the The greatest way that you can worship the Lord is in obedience. It, it is because yes. <clears throat> in understanding. Obedience as, or worship as bowing to another authority figure, as humbling yourself in the presence of another. Uh, what better way to worship than to surrender? And to say not as, even even to echo the words of Jesus, not my will, but yours be done. That is worship. That's true worship. So, just to give, uh, uh, kind of reiterate the background context of First Samuel... Um, if you don't know who Samuel is or who Saul is, uh, this is where your catchphrase comes in. You need to read your Bible. <laughs> yes, read your Bible. Read First Samuel, and it doesn't. It won't take you that long to read. It's a fantastic read. It really is, and that's the beautiful thing about the Old Testament narratives. It, it you get sucked into them if you jump yes. in, and they. Walk along the storyline. There's main characters in these, and it's real time events that are taking place. So I challenge you: read First Samuel one through fourteen, or all, all the way up to fifteen. Um, and in fact, if you haven't listened to the message from Sunday, stop this podcast right here. Go back, read Psalm one through fourteen, then listen to Sunday's sermon, and then turn this back on. <laughs> you mean Samuel? Samuel. I keep saying Psalm. We've been in Psalms so much. Yes. For first Samuel. Because I was like, well, yeah. that won't make any sense. First what Psalm. Are you talking about? First Psalm. No, don't don't do that. <laughs> it's first Samuel. Read read first Samuel one through fourteen. 
listen to the message on First Samuel 15, and then come back and listen to this. And then after that, read Psalm 1 through 14, because you should be reading your Bible. Yeah. So, there <laughs> yeah, you, we go. You can read I, Psalm 1, see, I can 1 through 14, too. <laughs> real quick. So, <clears throat> to, to just summarize once again, um, from Sunday, Samuel is born of Hannah. Hannah w- was childless. She went to the temple. She prayed in such a way that the priest was convinced she was she was drunk. She was not drunk. She was so burdened by this. Um, she committed, basically made a made a uh, a vow to the Lord and said, "If you if you open my womb and give me a child, I will commit them to the service of the Lord all of their days." And uh, so the Lord honored this request. The, the Lord heard her prayer and opened her womb. She had Samuel, and uh, she didn't go back up to the temple again until he was weaned so that she could fulfill the vow she'd made to the Lord. And so when when he was weaned, uh, she committed him to the service of the Lord, and he became as such. And so Samuel became call, was called by God directly to be a prophet. Um, the, the people across the land knew Samuel was was the man God had chosen as as the prophet to speak the word of God. And Samuel has had a long time of being in this role before Saul comes into the picture. And so it's it's uh, further on in First Samuel that <clears throat> we see the nation of Israel uh, demand we want a king. Mm-hmm. And if you want, if you want an in-depth study on this section of Samuel, uh, go into our sermon archives, and you're going to find a series entitled "We Want a King" from back in 2020. Uh, actually, it was might have been 2019. I don't remember. It was 2020. It was 2020. It was election year, yep. and we focused in on this section of scripture and sought to to recognize what, why did they ask for a king? What was the significance of this with the nations around them? Why is this detrimental? What were they warned? All of that we talk about in depth in that series. So I encourage you, go back, listen to that. Uh, it will help you get a better grasp of this. In the end, God honors the people's requests, even though they deny God as their ultimate authority and king. Uh, and he's warned them. He's told them, this is not going to be a good thing for you. And they do they do it anyway. They, th- disobedience, but th- they do it anyway. Um, and God raises up this guy, Saul. And my favorite part of the description of Saul is that he's, he has a long neck. Yes, I know. <laughs> and what's funny is when you said that Sunday, I remember you. If you go back and watch or listen to that series from We Want a King, you will hear this again. Yeah, that's true. I, I said the same thing. About it then, that's true. Because I, I looked over and said something to Drew about it when we were in the sound booth. I was like, oh, boy, here we go again. <laughs> I love my. I remember mine from from that series. My my statement was, I love it because the people are like, we want a king, we want a king. And God's like, I am the creator of the cosmos. I am the king of kings. And they're like, yeah, that's great and everything, but but we want a king here. And he's like, but I am the king of kings. Yeah, yeah, we get that, but we we want a different king. It's, can you can you give us a king? It's yeah. like, really? What is wrong with you people? Right. Yeah, <sighs> I know. So that that is the summarized way we get to 1 Samuel 15. Saul is the king who is appointed the first king over Israel. Um, and he has been successful, but we've started to see slips where he's making decisions on his own. Which is common with any earthly ruler. And this is what God warned the people about. Any earthly ruler eventually is going to 
become self-absorbed. And they're going to make decisions for themselves. They're going to do what's in their own best interest. Uh, and we've seen that ever since. Like that has been the case. Well, we should. Each one of us should be able to resonate with that. How often, when we, when God's providing for us and all these great things are happening in our lives, that we slowly but surely stop making it about God doing this for us because He does. If God right. is sovereign, He is <clears throat> in control of all of that. That we're like, look at what I did. I did this. I worked so hard that I got this. Yeah, you might have worked hard, but God allowed it. God made this provision for you. God gave you the ability to work hard. And so we all can get to this point where we're like Saul and we we start slipping. We start right. giving credit where credit is due. Yeah. We stop seeking the Lord. Yeah. And and trying to determine what his will is. Right. And it, uh, it becomes all about us. This is this goes back to the fall of we we want to be God. It's just that simple. Yeah. So out of the gate we see that Samuel communicates from the Lord uh, to Saul that uh, he's to wipe out Amalek because of all it did to Israel. And as as I talked about Sunday, uh, this is noted in Exodus seventeen eight through sixteen, where it describes what took place. And really, what happened was Amalek came out and fought Israel as they're journeying out of Egypt towards the Promised Land, and as a result of this, um, God God condemns Amalek uh, and says that He will blot them out, that He will He will remove them, uh, erase them. Uh, that's write this as a memorial in the book and receive it in the ears of Joshua. That I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it the Lord is my banner, saying a hand. Upon the throne of the Lord, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Now, a passage I didn't mention on Sunday is Deuteronomy 25, where God reiterates this. Okay, um, This is later on that God comes back to this again. And he actually, in, in Deuteronomy 25, 17 through 19, he says, Remember what Amalek did to you on uh, on the way as you came out of Egypt, how he attacked you on the way when you were faint and weary, that's a key point, and cut off your tail, those who were lagging behind you. And he did not fear God. This is really important to understanding the scope of this. Therefore, when the Lord your God has given you rest from all your enemies around you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance to possess, you shall blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. You shall not forget. So, in the scope of this, we go from Exodus where this first happened, and we come to Deuteronomy, and we, we this is reiterated again. And so now you're seeing the fulfillment of this promise and really the faithfulness of the Lord uh, called to be carried out in 1 Samuel 15 through Saul. So God is not uh, um, slow in this. His timing is perfect. And he declared in Exodus he was going to do this. He followed through in Deuteronomy and reminded the people, I haven't forgotten, but I'm waiting until you are established as a people and then you, you will carry this out as I have said I would do from the time of Exodus. So God is sovereign over this. Um, and we need to understand, too, there's a lot more going on behind the scenes of this that we may be prone to miss because 
Uh, we just read something like this in First Samuel where uh, in verse 3, do not spare them, but kill both man, woman, child, infant, ox, sheep, camel, and dog, like everything. Decimate everything. And we go, how is that fitting within the loving, gracious, merciful character of, of, of God that you so often hear taught on a consistent basis? Yes. I, I recently, um, with a relative of mine, was talking with him about Christ and, and the Bible and, and basically just sharing the gospel with him. And his, his comeback was, well, that's what I want. I want a God that promotes incest and, and is killing everyone and everything and, and just, you know, does all these things. And then all of a sudden it's, oh, I'm all about love. And I'm like, clearly you've never read your read, Bible. Read your Bible. Yeah. <laughs> so... I'll leave it at that. Well, I think, and and this is, we were talking about this a little beforehand. This is a discussion in and of itself that could take us multiple podcasts to get through. Um, but the emphasis here is you cannot separate God's justice and wrath from his love and his grace. They are all encompassing. God is not uh, someone who... Is, is shifting all the time. He's consistent. And what we see here in short summary, and we're not going to dive into this a ton <clears throat> because we would spend the rest of our time talking about this. Um, what we see here is God justly dealing with a nation who does not fear him and who has committed themselves to wickedness. And that's exactly what Exodus reveals when they come after a weak nation that is wandering, they, they don't even have an established home. And they're wandering. And this nation comes out to attack them at their weakest, most vulnerable point. Unprovoked. Israel did not step into Amalek and start attacking them. Amalek came out and just started wailing on Israel. And then Deuteronomy gives us another piece of this puzzle that they did not fear God. So there, there is a godless nation who has committed themselves to wickedness, and so therefore God in his sovereignty, knowing far more than you and I ever will, knows that it is in the best interest of the rest of the world that this nation cease to exist and be blotted out. And God reserves the right to do so as the one who created. And one of the pieces I always struggle with in in these with people is um, how we define murder. Many people go, well, God... God murdered and decimates these nations i go no he didn't the only person who can choose to take life and it not be murder is the one who created it yeah and that doesn't translate to parents and their children like people you weren't the creator yeah, of your children exactly because we can go into i formed you in the womb so god is again again the creator of everything because this is where a lot of a lot of uh people that have um I guess I would just say the psychosis that murder, they say, you know, their family and stuff. They're like, well, you know, I I created them. I can do that. That is, let's just get that. No, God is the creator of everything. And he's, his justice, like you were saying, his justice and and his mercy and his wrath and his grace and all these things, they have to be there for a balance. Correct. He can't, you can't have one and not have the other. If God is just, God also has to be wrathful. If God is you know, merciful. He, you know, he also has to have all these things. So it, it really, it, you got to look at it like a, like a, a scale where 
you can't have one without the other. It's one of those you can't have your cake and eat it too kind of things where you just you can't package God up in this little bundle of what you want. Yes. It it goes back to the Exodus saying of I am what I am. Yeah. And that never changes. That's why there's that statement so profound. God is what he is. It means that he is just, he is merciful, he is he is vengeful. I mean, we know these things. He says these things about himself. Um, the difference on where we're not seeing the wrath and stuff today is because of what Christ did for us. Correct. That wrath was on him. And so we don't have that anymore. Yeah, there's going to be a final judgment where there's a final dealing of uh, with of sin and evil people, and there will be punishment then. But in, in the meantime, in the interim, everything's just kind of playing out, waiting on the return of Christ to see whether or not people are going to make a decision to follow yeah. Christ or not. Yeah, and to go off of that, the piece that we don't recognize here in the story of of the Amalekites is look at the span of time between when they committed this this atrocity and when God brought about judgment. Mm-hmm. Now, consistent with God's character, and we see this exemplified even in Jonah, God will consistently give people opportunity to turn from their wicked ways, to fear him, and to walk faithfully with him. And I believe, based in the character of God we see in the rest of Scripture, that that's exactly what God is doing, even in the interim time between Exodus and 1 Samuel. Because that's a long span of time, and yet... The, the nation remains in such a state that God carries out this judgment that he's warned, he's warned them of was going to ta- take place. So you can't come and tell me that God is just uh, angry and reactive or he would have just decimated the Amalekites right there and blotted them off the face of the earth in Exodus. Oh, going back before that, Adam and Eve, boom, it would have been over. Everything yeah. would have been over right then if that's all it was about. Right. You know, I mean, and and this kind of translates and moves forward in, into Christ. I mean, you know, looking at him telling Adam and Eve that how redemption's going to come, you would think, oh, well, it's going to be, you know, one of Eve's kids or grandkids or something. And we look, you know, how many, a couple thousand years later, and then right. we have Jesus coming. And now here we are, another 2,000 years from when he ascended into heaven, and he's still not back yet. It's, this is the patience of God right. waiting, just more and more people are being saved every day, and it's the perfect timing that that we're waiting on. This this all, I mean, talk about a, a modern application right. for how this this series and uh, this week's message plays out. It's right there. Yeah. So, uh, jumping in back into First Samuel as we think about this, Saul goes into battle. He does a piece of what God has called him to do, but he takes the king alive. And then they kill all of the, all of the like tainted animals, but the ones that are the best they keep. They don't kill them. They don't wipe them off. Um, and then Saul begins to. <laughs> so, where 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 we intersect with so much relevance for what we what we see today is uh, this this interaction between Saul and Samuel. And in this interaction, um, God has already informed Samuel and says, I, re- I regret that I've made Saul king. Now, we need to be careful with that because regret there is not what we would yes. see regret as, uh, where God somehow, uh, some people have looked at that and say, see, God is not all- omniscient. He's not all-knowing uh, because 
if he had if he was all knowing, he wouldn't put Saul in that place to begin with. Uh, but here, God's showing regret. Um, this 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 correlates uh, really well with uh, even what we see God do in Genesis when He says, "I regret that I've made mankind." Right before the flood, it's, it's in the same line of character, and that's not that God is not all knowing. It's that God is God. God shares emotional response. In, in his perfection, God grieves the sinfulness and the disobedience of man. Yes. And so in the scope of this, God, God's, uh, that side of who God is, uh, is revealed in going, uh, really expressing a frustration that is ongoing with the sinfulness of man. And we don't often think about this because we teach and we go, well, God's response to sin is love and grace. We don't think about the fact that our sin grieves the Lord. Our sin is something that God is frustrated by, not in the human sense that we are, because he's already set in motion the redemptive plan. So he sees the end, but that does not keep him from still grieving in in a perfect way grieving how his the his created order the, the those created in his image would choose to walk in disobedience to him and he grieves that yeah it's no different have you ever used this phraseology in your life of i'm going to do this but i know i'm going to regret it later and then you end up doing it, you're like boy i really regret doing that it's the same thing god knew he was going to do this and he knew okay later i'm i'm going to regret this it doesn't doesn't change the fact that it has nothing to do with the foreknowledge that he had. Yeah, so we have a couple of major red flags we see in Saul's character. The very first one is in verse 12, where it says, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself, and turned and passed on and went down to Gilgal. Uh, number one... Red flag. <laughs> you shall have no carved images. <laughs> you shall not have any gods and, before me. And if if he if he's setting up a monument to himself, that is the number one sign that he has made himself God. Like he is, yes. his ego is through the roof at this point. <sighs> and so this this should bring us to a place first off of really stopping in personal application challenge and asking our question. What monuments have we set up to ourselves that we give credit to ourselves for? We see the same thing happen with Solomon in generations to come, not yet happening in the timeline of Scripture, where Solomon's great fall and and humbling is when he steps out and he looks and says, look at this great kingdom I've created. Yeah. Yep. And this correlates directly with New Testament uh, let the one who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. Uh, you will. You you make yourself God of your own life. And there is not good things coming for you. Um, and so then Samuel came to Saul, and <laughs> Saul's response, I can just picture, uh, you know, obviously conjecture, but I just picture Saul, Bless be to you, the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. I've done it. Hey, Samuel, buddy pal. I did it. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is done. And come up to the one that God's literally talking right, to. Right, exactly. You're like, hey, buddy. I uh, know. Let me see if I can pull a fast and, one on and, this. And guy. I'm just, I'm picturing in my head, Samuel just has this stoic look on his face. Like, yeah. Samuel is not amused. Yeah. 
And Saul says this, and Samuel responds with, what then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears and the lowing of oxen that I hear? And Samuel, like, he doesn't come right out of the gate and be like, uh, no, you didn't. He just asks a, 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 a question, puts it back in Saul's court. Yeah. And he's like, uh, I'm pretty sure God told you to blot everything out and I hear livestock. Yeah. So you're telling me you did this. Why do I hear livestock? And then now we see Saul start to backpedal. <coughs> We see Saul start to... Sounds oddly familiar like I'm talking to my children. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure I told you to do this. And uh, the first thing Saul does, he shifts blame. Verse 15, they have brought them from the Amalekites. So he exempts himself from this. Yes. For the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord. The rest we've devoted to destruction. So, hey... You know what? The people decided this was a good idea, and they, you know what? They, we're going to sacrifice them to God, so it's all okay. You know, we're not, we didn't wipe them out, but we're going to kill them before God anyway as an offering to Him. You know, He deserves, God deserves something nice. <laughs> no, God wanted your obedience, Saul. Yes. Not, not your attempt at shaping this in your own way. And so Samuel rebukes him, and, uh, Saul continues, and Samuel asks in verse 19, Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? Um, this is very reminiscent of what happens, uh, what happened in Joshua with Achan, who they were told not to touch anything. And Achan takes of the spoil. He can't help himself. There's a selfishness and a greed. He can't help himself. And so he takes and hides and buries and ends up bringing about judgment and reproach on Israel, on the nation. Uh, they go into battle. There's people killed as a result of disobedience. And so this is not the first time we're encountering this. Um, and verse 21, Paul or Saul still um, denies or pushes the blame off. The people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction. And he reiterates again, to sacrifice to your God in Gilgal. It's like he's saying to Samuel, don't you understand? Like, we did this for God. And this is where we intersect with um, the most powerful statement in this chapter of 1 Samuel, where Samuel says, has the Lord great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. Uh, this is a really crucial intersection mm -hmm. with what does God actually desire from his people? What does he actually want? Yeah, and, and you know, the New Testament application there is Matthew nine thirteen. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came to call the righteous, not the righteous, but sinners. Um. It's interesting to me, like, how, like, Saul's just being so childish throughout oh, all this. I know. Like, but, Dad, <laughs> I mean, like, 21, but the people took of the spoil, not me. And then it's interesting, like, how he says it, like, he, so he's just made this, you know, monument to himself. And then he says there in the end of 21, to the Lord your God. He doesn't say our God. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, great, great observation. You know, and it's just, it's interesting. You see that, that shifting from the moment he makes this monument, and let's be honest, and he has the people do these things uh, against the, what, the command of God, 
And now all of a sudden it's your God, Samuel. It's not my God. It's not our God. It's it's your God. Because, see, i got a statue over there. So, like, I'm an important thing. We don't have no statue of God around here. You can't see God. You can see me. I'm the king. What an idiot. And yet that is us. Yes. Right? Yes. Like, this is where we often make excuses, and our excuses tend to sound something along the lines of, well, but God, I've, I've been mostly good. You know, I've done mostly what you've asked me to do. I've, I, you know, I've, I've sought to obey. I haven't, I haven't done this bad that I used to do as much as I used to do, and it go, it, it, it is all for nothing. God doesn't want our, our failed attempts at worship. What He desires is for uh, obedience and a brokenness in us. And I was um, another brother in Christ Sunday. Uh, brought this to my attention after the service, and I wish I wish I would have had this even during the message. But in uh, Psalm 51, this is the Psalm David writes after he sinned with Bathsheba, and he says in uh, uh, verse 16, "For you, uh, uh, you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering." The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. It comes back to this place of uh, God desires a people that is broken before him, who recognizes their need for him, who is dependent upon him, not people who convince themselves they can take and modify God's plan and it be better off. And then say, well, but God, look how we can worship you now because of what I've done. He doesn't care how you think you should worship him. He desires that your worship be rooted in what he's already asked of you, not in something that you make up on your own. Absolutely. You know, and then if we if we kind of, you know, pick apart here uh in 24 and 25 um and 26 really, you know, so Saul Saul's talking, you know, he says to Samuel, he's like I've sinned, you know, and for the transgress, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me, that I may bow before the Lord. And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, mm. and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. This reminds me of the of Matthew seven, where we have the most just scary, terrifying words in yep. Scripture. Yes, because this is not that. Saul disobeyed. This is Saul rejected the word of the, the Lord. Word of the Lord. Yeah. He he knew what it was, and yeah. he was just like, I don't care. I'm going to do I'm my own my thing. thing. Yeah. And so now he's all of a sudden. But wait a minute. Wait a minute. You know, if I if I do this and this and this, and Samuel's like, nope. Only <clears throat> only after the point in verse 23 where Saul says he is rejecting yes. it from me. Like as soon as it cost him something that he saw as what was really important mm-hmm. to him. And, and so it reveals the heart of Saul. He really just didn't want to be rejected as king. Yes. That was more important mm-hmm. to him than obey. Anyway, yep. continue. And then so we see in Matthew where Jesus says on that day, many people will go, well, haven't we done this, Lord? Haven't we done that? And Jesus says, depart from me. I never knew, I you. Never knew you, you workers of lawlessness. Yeah. And that's that. The, the key there is the rejection because what's the quickest way to get to hell? Reject God. And yeah. so what does Saul do here? Rejects Reject God. The word of and the so Lord. Samuel's like, No, I'm not I'm not doing this. So you're not no, absolutely not. <clears throat> yeah, and then right after that, Samuel turns to run away and 
you see Saul basically like begging. Yeah. He grabs the skirt of his robe and tears his robe. Yep. Just like a child again. I but know. Dad, no, no, Dad, don't punish me. And then I love how Samuel turns around and uses it as an example. Mm-hmm. The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. Yeah. Talk about the yeah, ultimate mic drop oh, right there. Oh, my goodness. And, and to think about the boldness of Samuel here, that's something we often skip over. Samuel's speaking to the king of Israel. and Former king of Israel. Well, <laughs> but to, to stand, I mean, Samuel confidently asserts, he confidently asserts these biblical truths. And then turns and walks away. I mean, that is something that is not an easy task. Yeah. And yet there's a confidence in who God is and what he has declared with Samuel. Samuel just doesn't even care what may happen to him as a result of speaking these judgments. But there's also a significant respect for Samuel that he can say these things to the king and turn and walk away. Yeah. So... Uh, understanding this, what I really want to challenge those of you listening to think through is what uh, what correlations there are between true worship and obedience. Uh, if it really is obedience, obeying the voice of the Lord, obeying the word of the Lord that God desires, then how does that intersect with what you see worship to be and how you should worship? Yeah, you're getting to the end of 15, aren't you? Yeah, it's been a long time since I've read it. Where Samuel actually finishes what God commanded to be done. Yeah, and how he does it. He's just... I know. Samuel's a bad man jamma. (laughs) He's... Wow. Um, So thinking through that, uh, how are we worshiping God through our obedience to what he has called us to? And and I will say this over and over. We don't have to wonder what the will of God is for us. So many people ask that question, and yet it's right in front of you. You have access to the Word of God. If you if you are asking the question, what is God's will for me? Read your Bible. Open it up. Read what God has already said, and begin living it. Begin walking in it. Um, and if you're struggling and don't understand. Pick up the phone, call the church. Stop Matt on Sunday. Stop Drew. Stop Brandon. Stop. There's elders all throughout the building. There's there's other family members, brothers and sisters in Christ. Right. You don't have to pick just Matt. You can pick anyone. And if they are worth their weight in salt and understanding the Bible themselves yeah. and they can't figure it out, they will point you to somebody else. And so there's no shame in it. I, I, I study this academically in school and i run across stuff all the time matt is a professional pastor and i'm sure he has stuff to where he's got to figure it out and maybe ask questions it, this isn't this is the word of god like we're we're little itty bitty tiny human beings and so yeah it's some of it's difficult it says that in the bible it says that in there uh peter says it about about paul's writings like some of this is difficult to understand yes absolutely but the point is is you're not going to make any forward progression unless right. you're opening that book and reading. Yeah. So this week, I just want to challenge you. Spend time combing through Scripture and answering the question, what does obedient worship to God look like according to his word? What What does obedient worship to God look like according to his word? Um, spend time seeking to answer that question. And then spend time confessing disobedience to the Lord. 
and praising him for his mercy. Going back to last week and why we should worship to begin with. Because God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. So spend time in confession before the Lord. You don't have to go to anyone else to do this. You can do it before the Lord because Christ is the mediator between God and man. There's one mediator between God and man, the Lord Christ Jesus. Um, Spend time doing those two things this week and really striving to understand what true worship should look like. And the forms of worship that flow out of that can be the things we enjoy. Script, what you will find in Scripture is it tells us to sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs to one another. It will tell us to spend time in the Word. It will tell you to spend time in prayer. It will tell you to spend time in fellowship with other people. It will tell you to confess your sins. It will tell you to... Uh, Walk in obedience. All of these things are present. And every one of those is a form of worship. But our worship itself has to be rooted in a a concept of who God is. That he's revealed himself. When we see God for who he's revealed himself to be in scripture. All of life becomes worship. And that's exactly what we're going to be talking about to finish up this series next week. As we look at Romans 12. 1 and 2, and we seek to understand what does it really look like for all of life to be worship. I think that's good. Yeah, right? absolutely. Uh, the only thing I would add is that, you know, don't don't misunderstand that because Christ's sacrifice is sufficient for all, all sins that you still don't have to confess. Um, whenever you sin against God, you should feel so guilty and so upset that it brings you to your knees. Be in light of what Christ has already done for you, and then you continue on doing it. Mm. So don't don't ever think that just because you've been saved that you're now above the act of confessing to the Lord. Mm. Yeah, and know that when we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us mm. and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There is hope in Christ. Uh, if you don't have that hope, we want to help you discover that in Scripture. Uh, for yourself. So get a hold of us. Let us know. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. God, we keep coming back to the importance of understanding what you've revealed to us in your word. So may we prioritize that this week. Lord, may we set aside the distractions and the busyness of the season and and invest time where it is needed uh, in order for us to understand how we should worship to begin with. We give this to you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.